I say shit goes wrong all the time, all the time. But I don't see the problem. I'm solution oriented. I'm like a solution thinker. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, we don't have money. I'm like, okay, where are we going to get money? What are the available sources? Because if you, if you focus on the problem, it grows. Anything you put your energy towards, it grows, guaranteed. So why focus on anything that's not going to be beneficial to you? It's all about mindset. You know, like all of this comes down to your mind, how you think, how you approach things. I don't panic. I don't have stress. I don't get nervous. It's just like, okay, how are we going to solve this? If something's not in my control, I don't spend any time focusing on it. Welcome to the Uncensored Show with your host, George Atchampal, where we share the mindset, tips, tools, strategies, and stories on how to use your money to do more of what you love and what you were called to do. Money is like gas on a road trip. Sure, you need it to get where you're going, but you're not going on a tour of gas stations. Money fuels your journey. The question is, what's yours? Live life uncensored. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Uncensored Show. Today, we have a very special guest. I've been following this guest uh, for probably the better part of about six months now and all the moves that she's been making. And so our guest today, Don Dixon, is the CEO of Popcom, an automated retail company that uses spatial recognition, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology to help retailers collect valuable customer insights. The first CRM data and analytics software provider for Unattended retail, Popcom has developed technology to make kiosk and vending machines intelligent through data and analytics at the point of purchase. As a serial entrepreneur with over 16 years of experience in marketing and business development, Don launched four successful cash flow positive companies since 2002. Her most recent ventures include Flat Out Heels, Rollable Flats for Women to Get Relief from Painful Heels, and Popcom after identifying a need to make vending machines more intelligent. Dawn has received numerous awards and accolades for her business savvy and pitch skills and has been invited to speak on numerous panels and workshops and featured in countless media outlets, including Forbes, Black Enterprise, Fortune, VentureBeat, Huffington Post, Essence Magazine, just to name a few, because I certainly could go on much further, but uh, with no further ado, Don Dixon, how are you? I'm awesome. Thank you. You make me sound so good. So I appreciate that. I got to live up to these things now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The proof's in the pudding. But now we definitely are very grateful to have you on the show. And so I already knew, you know, kind of who you were and what you were all about. But, you know, I didn't didn't look up your formal bio until right before, uh, you know, I was going to have you on the show. I was like, oh, she she is who she says she is. She's legit. Um, So definitely to, to have you on. And so just... Let's go back a little bit, right? So you, you know, you got a degree in journalism and then you got a degree in IT. And how do you go from there to a four-time founder and just an overall innovator in the tech space? Give us kind of a quick rundown on, you know, how you got here. Um, that's like a very difficult question. So you were starting off with a bang. I, I mean, um, you know, I went to school for IT in 2001. And, you know, my interest was just in the newly emerging World Wide Web, which they don't even call that. They don't even call it that anymore. But I just was curious as to, like, how that was going to impact business in general, specifically the journalism and media industry that I was studying in college. And I recently graduated with my degree in journalism. And I just really always like to be on top of trends because, you know, at the time, I wasn't planning on being an entrepreneur. I was just wanted to be able to get the most, um, like be, be very competitive when getting a job. And so if like internet and technology is a new thing, I want to be proficient in it so that I can have an advantage over other candidates. That's what led me to studying IT in general was just like skills. But then once I got into tech, um, and I really just loved it. Um, I was like starting early just coding and building websites and just, um, I really just enjoyed it. And I felt that I could apply the things I was learning in tech to more practical needs that I had um, as a young person, like where can we go at night? Where is there to go on the weekend? What's there to do? What's the cool places to go in town? And that's what led me start my first business with my partner, Brandon was just like, we decided to build a website to serve our need of just wanting to know what's going on. 
Um, you know, back then it was heavily relying upon the newspaper and actually paper flyers because there was no such thing as social media yet. And so in order to find out what event was going on, you literally had to get a piece of paper in your hand to know, or someone had to tell you, I mean, you know, cell phones, there wasn't even texting yet. (laughs) So it's like, that makes me sound very old, but there wasn't texting and there was like two way pagers, but everybody didn't have them. So we just decided to start a website just to, you know, feature local events and regional events around the state of Ohio. And um, getting into that, that just, that's how I started my career in general, just did the website, you know, started promoting it. It really, really grew very, very quickly in, in users and popularity and revenue. And that was my first, you know, venture in entrepreneurship. And we did that for six years. And then it led to me doing a consulting company to help other businesses and people just be familiar with online marketing because I became an expert in online marketing in the very early days of online marketing just by accident, by default of what I was doing. Right. And so it just continued from there. You know, it, it, it was a natural progression and of like identifying a need and meeting that need. And that's really what true entrepreneurship is. Is just like, there's a problem that you identify and it's better when you actually experience that problem because then you really know the pain points and you can solve it better and then solving that problem and putting resources together. And in my case, I just, every problem that I identify, I leverage technology in some way, even with the shoes, you know, leveraging e-commerce, leveraging, you know, what's now the vending machine business and um, leveraging different technology tools, whether it's growth hacking in the marketing side, just to maximize the business. Gotcha. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And so my next question is, I know the tech space in general is historically, you know, a white male dominated space. Um, you know, so can you just tell us a little bit about like what this journey has been like for you, right? I know part which we'll get into later in the podcast, part of your reason for, you know, launching the way you did with allowing the community to be able to invest is, you know, part of a, probably a broader mission of yours. But just tell us a little bit about like, what is it like navigating this space as a, as a woman of color? I mean, we live in the United States of America. So it's generally white male dominated across almost every industry. I don't see this as anything, any different. I see, I live, you know, I'm born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. It's 13% black. That's my whole life. So I don't feel like it's any different. I feel like any corporate environment you go into for most cases any industry you go into unless you're like in atlanta you know and still you're gonna that's the demographic that you are working with and um you know i had a job out of out of college only one real job i ever had in my life and i was working at nationwide insurance for a subsidiary company and i was the youngest person i was the only black person and i was one of two females on the management team and everyone was white male so it, it, it's the same, you know, it, it doesn't feel, you know, a lot of people want to hear like, oh, it's so hard being a black woman in tech or so hard. My work speaks for itself. I don't, I, I just, my personal experience in my career, and I need to update my bio because it's really been 19 years, um, is that your work speaks for itself, period. You know, I got, I got my first job right out of college. I wasn't even supposed to I wasn't even eligible to apply for the job that I applied for because they were looking for tenured people within the organization. But my, my work and my drive spoke for itself. And even in technology, you know, working in the industry is not a challenge. The, the, I think the challenge comes from like when you want to talk about being black or being anyone outside of like the general white male demographic is access to capital. That is the thing. You know, because you can you can go get educated and you can um, you can get a job, you know, because, again, your work speaks for itself. But it's the access to capital um, is what has been the barrier, I would say, as a black woman and not because I'm a black woman specifically, but because of the network that I had as a black woman who went to school for journalism, who was in Columbus, Ohio. 
I wasn't in the West Coast. You know, I wasn't in Silicon Valley. I didn't go to school for engineering. I didn't have prior experience working in, um, you know, in software development like I do now. So, you know, my prior businesses prior to Popcom, there was no issue. Like me doing my first tech company, we built it ourselves because we were coding. The second, you know, but flat out, I did it myself. Um, my partner and I, you know, did it and I sourced and designed my own shoes and I made them in China and I sold them in stores. Like there was no, it didn't matter because I didn't need anybody's money. I raised money from my, my peers. But when I had to go and raise millions and that was the, the capital need, that's when I felt like, okay, this is, um, I'm not in the good old boys club and it's just by proximity. Like yeah. I, I honestly deeply in, in my heart don't feel that people are like saying, Hey guys, don't invest in black people or don't invest in women. They just aren't familiar enough with us. And people invest and put their money with things they understand. They know they believe in they're familiar with somebody can vouch for you. Me personally, I'm not giving my money to somebody I don't know, never heard of them. Nobody can vouch for you. You came out of nowhere. You didn't get the education. Like, they don't have black people around them. So what would make them just start giving money to black people just because? Like, it doesn't work like that. So yeah. I had to build my network. And, and you know, I just want us to, to change the narrative of, like, oh, we can't get, you know, it's hard being black. And more so, like, hey, let's, let's get out there and put ourselves in rooms that we need, you know, to be exposed to. No, that's, that's great. And I, and I appreciate you, you know, challenging that perspective because that is, that is a narrative and that can, that can easily be kind of lead to like the a victimized mindset. Um, but to your yeah. point, we're in America, right? So, it's, so that's a very, like you let out with that point, like this is a white male dominated country. So uh, being in the tech space isn't going to be. Yeah, this is their country. They, they literally came over from Europe and sold it. And this is their country. We're in it. Right, right. That's that's and that's that's real. Uh, that's that's maybe something that a lot of people don't want to take ownership of. The fact that hey, and the other thing that you said was, I I know my like I know my work. Like you you can you can try to deny me even if you wanted to. And to your point, you say you don't feel like that's the case. Um, that people are not wanting to give back uh, capital to women of color or black people. They just aren't familiar with you and that you can't be vouched for. But to your point, like greatness is greatness, right? And if I have a really good product or really good business. You know, one thing that we all do have in common is is green, right? Like if they see the value in in what you're building, you know, it's not, it's not going to be so long before someone's like, "Hey, look, I do want to invest in that because, hey, this is this is a great product." So I'm glad that you said those two things. That hey, look, this is the country that we live in, and more importantly, just be great, right? Like if your if your reputation or your work precedes you, then you know. At some point, it's all going to catch up. So thank you for that refreshing perspective, for sure. Oh, you're welcome. All right. So I think what led me to initially kind of asking that question was one of the things that I've known about you just from afar, from like being connected with you on social media, um, is that you're very authentic, right? Which, it, again, at the end of the day, that should be a given, right? We should just be who we are. But if we're being honest, we know that that's not a thing, right? And so I think one of the one of the reasons why I asked that initial question is because you remained authentic and true to yourself uh, throughout your kind of ascension of what you're building. So my question is, you know, what gave you the courage or the perspective to say, you know what, no matter what space I'm navigating, no matter how people are moving, like I'm going to stay true to me because one of the things that I see that's very common, and I think what makes your story so powerful is that, you just show us who you actually are, which makes it more possible from a representation standpoint. Like, yo, I can be who I am and build a million dollar company, um, multi-million dollar company in the tech space, right? So I just want you to just briefly kind of touch on what gave you that confidence to not, I don't know if this is the right way to look at it, but code switch or be anything other than your authentic self while, you know, building in this space. Yeah, I, I think like um, just for me, observing that when I am my most authentic self, I get the best results. Mm -hmm. So initially, you know, as a young person, which I feel like I'm still young, but I'm 40. So like I, I'm experienced, right? So as a young person in my 20s, of course, you're trying to get out there and there's a profile. Like I remember when I 
started my career out of college, I looked at the women in business that I thought, you know, that I was like, okay, this is my muse. Like I want to be like them. And I looked at how they wore their nails and they all have short nails, very well manicured, short nails, you know, pretty natural looking nail polish, not the long nails, not the, you know, nail art. Like I just looked at like, what's the persona, what's the profile of the person that I, that I see myself wanting to follow in their footsteps. Right. So I, I tried to embody that. It wasn't totally me, not in the form of the nails, but just like I would take on what I felt, how they should, how I should dress or, you know, how I should wear my hair, what was like the acceptable hairdo. And, you know, and it, it did work for some, for a degree, but then I, I didn't feel like I stood out or I didn't feel like, I felt like I was conforming to something that wasn't authentically myself. I mean, it, I was in a corporate environment initially, so there are, you know, some parameters around how you can be when you're working for other people. But when I started my own business, which again, I, it was in 2001, um, you know, decided, and then I quit my job in 2002 and I haven't had a job since I said, you know, I'm just going to be myself. And if they like it, cool. If they don't, they don't need to rock with me anyway, because it really stood out for me when I went to like a company picnic when I was still working at Nationwide. And I have a lot of tattoos on my arms, like on my forearms. But of course, at work, we will wear jackets and blazers, um, you know, professional attire. And when I went to the company picnic, I had on a T-shirt and they were like, oh, you don't seem like the tattoo type. I don't really know what that meant, but like it helped. It made me be like, you don't even know me because, I mean, I don't know what type you think I am, but like, <laughs> I'm like a lot of things. So I just want, I was like, you know, I'm whatever the tattoo type is, like I'm walking in that like truth at all times. Like what, like I'm not dumbing down anything about myself. I'm not hiding. So now, even if you see me when I'm on stages and I'm a paid speaker, like my arms, if I have my arms out, my tattoos are out. They've been out for years. After that, I'm like, you know, I'm wearing my tattoos out. I have like a gold bottom grills. I wear them all the time, like all the time. It, to meetings, to events, speaking, I wear them. And it's just like mouth jewelry, you know? And for me, I just felt like when I am so true to myself and like just do what I want, people are so much more comfortable and responsive because they're like, okay, she's authentic. She's her real self. They may relate to it like, oh, she's more like me. Or they may be like, you know what? I don't really get it. I'm not into the gold grills. I'm not into the text, but like she's, at least she is who she is. And people, if nothing else, are going to respect that you're just true to yourself and if they don't well good they don't need to be around you anyway and it really is a great way to filter out people and so um i've been like this now like probably 15 years plus to where i'm like you know take it take me take it or leave it the great thing i love about tech is that you can be it's not super corporate. And, and, you know, some of the people that are in tech, like that are the decision makers and investors, they may be like so suit and tie type of people, but I just, that's not my style. And I love that you can wear like hoodies and sneakers and like, that's what I enjoy. So I like to be able to dress however I want. And they always are very accepting of that. Um, and I, and I have this, like, I wouldn't call it entitlement, but like, I just, the, the same type of confidence and like I'm supposed to be here everything I have I deserve mm. you know that that white male mentality like I have that already so like everything I feel like I deserve everything and I belong in every room and I'm the best when I walk in I've always feel like I'm better than everybody else and that's between me and me like I'm not downplaying somebody else when I say I'm the best I'm the best if you feel like you're the best cool you're the best but in my in my situation, I'm I'm the best when I walk in the room. I'm better than everybody. And again, it's not a competition. It's just me and me. It's not downplaying anybody else because that's that's the mentality that you have to have. And that's how I've been thinking for a really long time, and it's worked. No, no, no. I I couldn't agree with you um, anymore. Like that's I agree with you wholeheartedly. I remember I was like, I actually used to work for an insurance company a number of years ago. And I remember I was pulling up early in the morning. You know, I was bumping Jeezy or something. I fully, <laughs> fully tinted Acura at the time. And then some of the white guys were walking in. They're like, oh, I thought you were one of, 
I, I thought you were one of the, I mean, the look on his face was basically like, I thought you were one of the safe blacks, like the ones who didn't listen to that, that kind of music. I was like, nah, I, I am who I am, and I can move in these rooms too. So, nah, I'm, I'm, I can relate to that, and it's, it's dope that you have that mentality for sure. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, your current company. So Popcom, tell us what it's all about, uh, you know, what your vision is, and, and why you decided to found this particular company. Um, so Popcom is automated retail technology, which just basically means um, vending machines, self-service kiosks, ordering kiosks. So any anytime when you automate the retail process and take out the cashier or the human out of it, uh, I've developed what's called a digital pop-up shop, and we call it the pop shop, which is a new type of vending machine, a new type of way to sell products or sample products or just distribute products direct to customer in an automated way and really help to like close the last mile. What that means is like the point in which the customer receives the product. So like Amazon closes the last mile by fast delivery with Prime, by package lockers. Um, but almost, I would say 98% of all other businesses can't deliver as fast as Amazon. Right. It, because they just have this logistics system that's out of this world. They have the money behind it. And so my vision was always to, since I have a, a a retail company, a shoe company called Flat Out of Heels, was always to deliver my product to the customer when they needed it fastest. And my product is centered around women whose feet hurt in heels. And when your feet hurt in heels, you need to take your shoes off. It hurts. Now, you can't be like, oh, my feet hurt. Let me call, get on the website, and wait two to three days for something to arrive. Like, no, you need it now. And so even when I thought about, like, how can I get these shoes to women right the second they need them? It wasn't going and selling in boutiques it was like i'm putting these shoes in a vending machine because if i have a vending machine in a nightclub if i have a vending machine in the airport or at a conference center or at a com you know a, a convention place or where they're going to concerts if i have a vending machine there their feet hurt to get a pair of shoes and that's the easiest fastest way and i don't have to worry about trying to sell to a retailer and wholesaling and i mean it just i just that was what I decided, and I did it. And I put my first vending machine in Atlanta Airport and Club Live in Miami for myself. It was never like, let me start a vending business. It was like, I want my product in the hands of women. Once I did that, it got a lot of publicity, notoriety, awards, because nobody was doing it. It was a new distribution method that people weren't thinking about outside of food and beverage. So with that you know, notoriety, per se, people started reaching out to me that were business owners, like, hey, can I sell my products in vending machines too? I really love this. You know, I want to sell random things, all kinds of things, hair weaves, hats, t-shirts, cosmetics. I mean, everything that you may need on the go. And that's when I knew that I, you know, the business could grow beyond flat out. And so I started Popcom. And, but then I also realized I can hack together something and make it work for me, but if I'm going to be selling a product to other people, I need to really optimize this and go a little bit deeper and really make sure that um, my product is unique and, and high tech because that is my background, but also stands out and it just makes sense. And so it took me years to really refine and go through several different iterations or versions of the hardware um, to, to get there. But my, my, ultimate inspiration was just like delivering a product to customers as fast as possible and allowing small businesses to compete on a playing field where companies like Amazon are dominating. So now you can have a small business vending machine next to a Best Buy machine. There's, there's no, the barrier to entry is very, very low in yeah. vending. Yeah. So that's what inspired me. Wow. So that, that takes me back to the beginning of the interview when you said, that you know you had the ability early on to like spot trends, and then, and then more importantly, the core essence of entrepreneurship is solving a problem. So I think I really want the listeners to hone in on that because now with so much just you know overexposure to what everybody's doing or what they say they're doing, and people are really just you know, hopping on a lot of bandwagons and doing what seems to be relevant at the time. But your success really stemmed from probably your feet were hurt. You're thinking like, okay, well, shoot, yeah, it would, it would be nice if like. I can, I can get some shoes right now and then have to order them online or, and, and then just really zeroing in on that and then making it into something that was scalable in and of itself for that specific problem, which then 
created exposure for the company that you're now building because now people are like, I want to do that too. So that's, I think Absolutely. That's, that's very important to it, know. It was very natural. Like yeah. I, I didn't, it was just such a natural progression. I didn't try. It just was like the, the business came to me, the demand presented itself. And I, I just was following the problem of people want vending machines to sell their product. But most manufacturers, I would say 98% of manufacturers, they don't do small runs. So it's like, they're not going to build you one bidding machine. They want you to make a commitment to do a lot. And that's not really feasible for a small business. And that's why you only see Best Buy, Benefit Cosmetics, Honest Company, Proactive, Uniglo, big company vending machines. That's why you only see them selling products because it's very difficult to get that hardware and get into those markets until here comes Popcom. And now we level the playing field. This podcast episode is sponsored by CapitalWise. CapitalWise is a boutique financial planning firm serving entrepreneurs of high-growth companies. We also have investment management services for all. Plan precisely, invest intelligently. CapitalWise. Well, I'm looking forward to the, to the day very soon where... I mean, I'm in the airport, I'm everywhere, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I remember what I have on the podcast, and now everybody got their products and vending machines uh, thanks to her, her innovation. So, I'm, I'm Thank you. It's coming. It's really coming. We have it, hundreds of people on our wait list. So, you know, my thing is just getting the product shipped. You know, that's always the thing. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad I was able to get in on that, uh, that round that you offered to the public from a crowdfunding perspective, which we're actually going to perfect segue we're going to talk about right now so a few months ago i think it closed in april right um you did it did yeah so you became the first african-american woman to raise over a million dollars in a secure token offering crowdfund and like i said i was fortunate enough to be able to to get in on that and so i know for most of the people listening to this podcast they have absolutely no idea uh what a secure token offering is so first if you could just tell us about you know what that is in, in, your, in your own words and then what made you decide to go this route to raise some additional funding for your company? I mean, to put it simply, it's just a digital representation of a share. So, you know, I'm a privately held company. We have, you know, what is considered to be, since we're, we're a C corporation, we have um, shares, you know, so we can sell them to private investors venture capital investors, um, accredited investors, which accredited means you make 250000 a year um, as an individual, 300000 I mean, 300000 as an individual, 250, 250 as a couple, or reverse that. 250 as an individual, 300 as a couple, and have a million net worth. Um, so it's very, like, uh, limited to where you can raise money from. So, but typically when you, and even in the past, historically, when you invest in a company, you get a stock certificate, it's a piece of paper. Uh, and now it might be like an email with a stock certificate or like you invest on Robinhood and you'll get like, it'll be in your um, dashboard. But, uh, but that could be changed. Like, especially before, before like um, everything was online, if you lost that stock certificate, you have like literally no proof that you have stock in that company. Right. So, a uh, 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 a secure token, a tokenized security is really basically took the cap table, which capitalization table is the record of everyone that owns shares in the company and how the company is capitalized is on this document of a capitalization table, AKA cap table. So I took the cap table and I said, okay, I'm going to tokenize it, which means these shares that are written in a, you know, whether we're using Carta for cap table management or an Excel spreadsheet, it's a piece of paper. It's a website. We're going to take these and put them in, di- in a digital form so that they can never be stolen, lost. They're, you know, the transferring is, like, is, is digitized um, through what now is uh, blockchain technology, which is a very secure database or a ledger. So the same way an Excel document is a ledger, your bank book is a ledger where you write, well, not anymore, but back in the day, you wrote all your transactions in your bank ledger. Blockchain is a digital ledger. It's just a ledger simply put. And so I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make these, these tokens, which are assets in my company, I'm going to make them digital. So that's it. That's the difference. It still represents a share. It's just now you have them in your digital wallet and they're easily transferred because, and they can't be stolen. They can't be hacked. They can't, you know, 
to the most part, most secure out there. And the reason why I chose this way was because of the new wave of like uh, ICOs, which is initial coin offerings and companies using um, cryptocurrency to raise money. And there's various exchanges that actually trade digital securities. So the same way the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange, they trade these publicly traded companies where we're privately held. And there are exchanges that you can trade private securities using digital uh, assets like tokens. So I'm not a currency. I don't have a cryptocurrency because you can't go and take a Popcom token and buy anything. It's only a representation that you have a membership ownership, equity ownership in this company. And I did that because of liquidity ability and liquidity, of course, being able to turn an asset into liquid cash and cash out per se. So um, typically when you invest in a privately held company, you invest your money and you hold it could be five to 10 years. It's not a flip. It's not real estate. It's not the stock market where you can go and get, sell your shares on the stock market in general. But I'm like, okay, if I'm going to raise money from the public, these are many people that um, are may not have the ability to hold money for 10 years, which is generally the time that you need to take a company from like C level to acquisition in general. And I said, I want people to be able to get out if they really need to get out and not be stuck holding shares because we're talking about the general public, not multi-million dollar venture capital investment funds. We're talking about people. And so having the ability to go and take your tokens in Popcom and put them on an exchange for liquidity was attractive to me. And this is a very new thing in general. You know, SEC just approved it in 2017. So it's very new, but it's emerging. And um, I believe that this way of exchanging, selling, trading securities is the future, especially for. Uh, you know, private tech companies. So that's why I did it this way. Gotcha. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, folks, she's giving y'all all the game. I, cause I, had, I hadn't even heard of that before, you know, you started talking about it. So we definitely appreciate you for enlightening, enlightening the community for sure. So we talked a lot about, you know, your success, right, which is well-deserved, but also don't want to lead you know, any of the listeners and they're thinking that, you know, you had a few good ideas and they just popped overnight and, you know, like that's just how your story, you know, how your story is. So if you mind, if you don't mind sharing with us, you know, whatever you, you know, you feel comfortable with just a little bit of the challenges of just like the journey of, you know, becoming who you are today and how you continue to persevere in spite of. Definitely. I mean, you know, nothing is easy. I always start with that. Nothing is easy. You're going to work hard. Um, it's just like, what are you working for? You know, they always say stuff like anything worth having is, is, is difficult. So like, it's no easy road, period. But I just um, decided that I was never going to give up and never quit. So it's like the tenacity of like, regardless of whatever obstacle I was faced, not to give up. But some of the, you know, challenges that come to the front of my mind, just specifically, well, overall capitalization, like raising money, having access to capital. I mean, I didn't grow up from a rich family. Um, you know, we weren't, we were okay. You know, we got, we had a comfortable living, but I didn't have like a, a family member to give me a, a million dollars to get started. I mean, luckily my dad did give me $10,000 of seed money for my very first business, which Many of us don't even have that ability. So I'm grateful that I had a father that believed in my very first venture and that's what really launched. But that, you know, 10,000, it was very helpful, but it's not enough to really grow a scalable, sustainable company over time. And, um, you know, it was always a challenge. I mean, it was, it's always a challenge, access to capital, you know, relationships to get business loans, having good credit, like always just figuring out what's the, what's the path to, to keeping your business going. And so I've, I've really at this point now over the years took advantage of every possible thing between, you know, raising, doing accelerator programs, getting out, getting loans, doing um, credit cards, raising money from venture capital, winning pitch competitions. I mean, I just don't leave. I leave no stone unturned period. I've got money in every way possible. Literally. Like when they check off the box, like how do you raise money? It's like, <laughs> Self-funding, credit cards, business loans, 
angel investors, family and friends, crowdfunding, venture capital, accelerators, pitch competitions, literally grants, like all of it. I've, you know, I'm always um, just looking and on top of every way to keep my business capitalized. But we've run out of money several times over the over the years, um, down to like no money left. And it's just like, all right, you know, we need to get more money for inventory for flat out. So that's the thing. You can't sell something you don't have to sell. So that'd be a challenge. I mean, we're past all challenges now because now we moved the company to a B2B model where we only take orders from businesses and we don't ever have to really hold inventory anymore. It's working really well now. And then with Popcom, we're a tech company, which, you know, we're still building products. We've been building product for three years, but we have monthly expenses and a whole staff of people in an office and travel expenses. And really all we do is we're spending money to develop a product. We're not generating revenue, not even close to what we're actually putting out. And that's the model of technology companies. So it's not like it's a bad thing because that's what happens. You raise money and you build the product and you start to sell it. But what happens when you run out of money before you're finished building the product? That's mm-hmm. what happened to me last year. The product wasn't finished, but we had no more money to continue development. And that happens to a lot of businesses and then they stop. But for me, I'm like, nope, I'm not, I'm not giving up. And so when I went back to my investors and other, you know, traditional sources, try to get a loan. I mean, I did use my personal credit, which I, I always tell everyone to keep your credit together, like monitor your credit heavily, be on top of your credit because you, so you can also use it as a backup plan. I leveraged my personal credit and got credit cards and loans and kept my business going last year because I had a good credit score. So that was clutch for me because we would have been out of business if it wasn't for my credit, period. But um, that wasn't going to keep us going for a year or two. It just was like a temporary fix. So. I definitely was like, okay, they're not going to help me. I'm going to use my credit. Well, they were, they were trying to give me some terms that were just insane. They wanted me to do a down round, which means like sell shares in your company for less than what it's worth. So they can like, it's sharky. It's like, it's like sharks, yeah. you know, and I get it. It's like a payday loan or something. Let me give you a payday loan on your company. And I was like, no, I'm not about to do that. And so I just like, persevered through it. I say I thugged it out and but also looked in a non-traditional route which led me to crowdfunding which was very very and still is extremely non-traditional so like I don't see like oh I say shit goes wrong all the time all the time but I don't see the problem I'm solution oriented I'm like a solution thinker like I'm like oh my gosh you know, we don't have money. I'm like, okay, where are we going to get money? What are the available sources? Because if you, if you focus on the problem, it grows. Anything you put your energy towards, it grows, guaranteed. So why focus on anything that's not going to be beneficial to you? It's all about mindset. You know, like all of this comes down to your mind, how you think, how you approach things. I don't panic. I don't have stress. I don't get nervous. It's just like, okay, how are we going to solve this? If something's not in my control, I don't spend any time focusing on it. Mm. Like even now today, you know, we're waiting for our machine to get delivered from our manufacturer so we can mass produce. So we're waiting for a unit to come from China and the delivery day keeps getting pushed back. It was supposed to have been August, now it's September, now it's October. And I mean, of course I'm not happy about it. It's, I mean, it's not ideal, but am I worried, stressed? I mean, no, because I can't control it. Everybody's doing the best they can. Um, there's nothing wrong. It's just that, you know, delays in customs, get things getting cleared in customs. It's supposed to take a couple weeks, takes three weeks. Might, you know, supposed to take seven days, takes three weeks. We need a new kind of CPU. The delivery time is nine weeks. I can't control that. I have nothing. I can't control that. So it's like, but some people, when things happen that are perceivably bad or negative or not helpful, or you miss your deadline, they're like all stressed out and upset and Everybody involved is it's a tension thing. And I'm like, hey, what can we do to make this outcome better? Nothing? Okay, cool. All right. What's next? I mean, and that's, it's like, that's how I approach everything. So there's a lot of struggles and challenges as a business owner all the time, every day. I, I have a whole team of 12 people that I have to make sure they get paid every single month. Um, I have many different moving parts in my business at all times. You know, there's legal that things happen. People want to sue. I got to sue people. People have an issue with me. People, 
trying to infringe on your intellectual property. Like it's, it's always something, but it's just your mindset. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, every day, I just do my best and everybody on my team does our best. And all you can ever do is your best. There's nothing else you can do beyond your best. So that's, that's Max. my approach. Max. It's, it's almost as if you are reading the questions before I asked things. I was able to avoid asking a couple because you already went perfectly into what I was going to ask. So as we close out, um, you're leading right into my, which was going to be one of my last points. And, you know, so you might not remember me specifically, but I, uh, I reached out to you via Instagram maybe like about a month or two ago. And I was like, yo, can you give me some game on like starting like your spiritual journey? I say, and I say that, I say cautiously because. Oh, I remember you. Um, yes. Okay. You made it very clear that, you know, just in general with Instagram, like, hey, look, this is how you communicate with me. Don't send me random emails, you know, like, so I was like, should I, should I hit her up? I was like, forget it. I'm going to go for it. And so I asked you about, you know, just your spiritual journey and, you know, how you kind of approach life. And I think just how you answered that, you know, perfectly kind of articulates, you know, that perspective. But what I want to ask is, you know, what, what led you to like this personal development, spiritual, spiritual journey, self-care, energy? I don't think you actually refer to yourself as like a light worker. Like what, what led you down that path? And also, which you probably already answered, how do you feel like that part plays a role in all that you do, right? Because I think so many people want to focus on the tangible specifics about what degree you got or what accelerator program you were in and all these things that are absolutely relevant. But I'm almost certain that based upon what you just told me, you're able to have that mindset based upon the self-work that you do. So is there just anything that you can share with us briefly just in terms of how important that is? and how you kind of went about that path. Yeah, yes, I do consider myself to be a light worker for sure. And I, and that just means like just, just shining your light, like being light, because the only thing that can defeat darkness is the light. If it's a pitch black room and one peak of light comes through, it's now lit. Yeah. And so that's how I like approach my life is like, let me be the light. Like there's a lot of messed up stuff in the world and a lot of darkness and a lot of darkness in people. But like, if you just shine your light, like they cannot over, it cannot overcome you. And so that's just my, my general approach and my general mindset. And that's important because, you know, that's, if you don't have that mentality, the darkness, which is like a depression, which is stress, which is wallowing in the problem and not really being solution oriented. You know, when literally time when we were out of money, I had no money, maxed my credit cards out, couldn't even afford an Uber ride. And I still was smiling and happy because I know I invested in myself. I know where my money went. I didn't blow it. It wasn't like, I know I'm working towards a goal and I thrive in the uncomfortable moments, but that's because I, I have faith. And because I, I know, like, I feel strongly about what I'm doing. And so it's like, I didn't focus on the fact that I didn't have money. I focus on the fact that my needs are met. Yeah. I might not be able to go out to eat or like do anything extra, but I'm not homeless. I have a meal and you know, I, this like our team every day in our Slack channel, we start the day with the gratitude. That's how you check in because we're like a remote team. We have an office and we work all over, but like we really focus on our Slack channel and that's the kind of company that I want. But anyway, everybody checks in every day, what you're grateful for. And that is because I want people to have a mindset of no matter what's going on in your life, I guarantee you every day there's going to be something that's messed up or that you could fix or that you could think about that's bad. There's going to be something you could think of, whether it's like somebody's sick that you love, uh, the car ain't acting right, it's snowing, like whatever you might feel that's bad, like whatever bothers you. But with the, having an attitude of gratitude and a mindset of like, I have something to be grateful for. And there was times in my life where as far as like, everything will be a very tense time, you know, didn't have the money, wasn't sure how we we're going to go move forward. You know, maybe my financial situation, housing situation wasn't ideal, you know, losing people that I love, relatives passing and things like that. Some days you wake up and it's just like, I'm just grateful to be alive because at least I have another day to continue. Like if there's nothing else you can think of, if, if the world seems like it's crumbling, at least you're alive. Like that is this moment to have gratitude for your breath that you're here because a lot of people are not here. And that's just like, that's how I think. And um, I'm not a religious person at all. Like I 
consider myself to be very spiritual. I've studied many of the religions and have a great understanding of, of religion. And, and so that's why I choose not to practice any one particular. But certainly having something higher, whatever it is you believe in, believing there is a, a power of influence, something divine guiding you over your life, I feel it is helpful, you know, to know that, like, something is watching over you. Something is protecting you. Whatever it is you believe in, it doesn't matter. Right. Something bigger than you is here. Something is making the sunshine. Something is making the moon. Something is making the tide. Something is making the grass grow. Like, it's not you. So, like, understanding you are literally such a tiny grain of, of, of smaller than a grain of sand in the scope of humanity. Um, it, it keeps you grounded and also focused for me. Like, okay, I'm going to focus on being the light, making an impact in the world, doing what I can do for this very short time that I'm here because the world's been around for, they say, billions of years and we get 100 years if we're lucky. So making the most of each day and also being older gives me the wisdom to know that in the past there's been things that happened before I had really had this mindset that I felt like it's so tragic. This is so horrible. How am I going to live past this? And then I lived past it. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing that could happen, happen and you got over it, which means like you can get through anything basically. Like there's nothing you can't get through. So nothing is that bad because eventually one day, whatever happened that's so bad is going to be a memory. You know, look back like, remember that time when like, you know, the worst thing that ever could happen to me happened, and I'm still here. Wow. That's and so, that's, that's just my mindset. That is so real. That's so real. Thank you for sharing. I think that's going to really help help a lot of people, um, for sure. And I would ask you, is there anything um, exciting that you want to share? But I, I'm assuming that that's, you know, your, your, your uh, vending machine showing up on, on time in October for the finally uh, so that you can get them out um, and mass produce them. But I'll still ask you, is there anything beyond just, you know, the focus that you guys have on getting this product to market that you, that, that's exciting that you want to share with us? Well, that is exciting because thanks to the 2,200 investors that we had in our crowdfunding campaign, that was historical. And we oversubscribed that round, meaning we raised way more than was even tried to raise. We raised like 1.3 when we were just trying to raise a million seventy. So we have that money in reserve just, waiting which leads me to we're going to open up another round soon so i'm excited about that um you know a lot of people didn't get to get in and and i'm excited to be able to give people that opportunity um so if anyone's interested that's listening and just staying posted on our progress and what we're going to open the round up they can go to startengine.com forward slash popcom p-o-p-c-o-m and we will be making an announcement in the coming months about when we'll open it up again so of course you know we raised a nice amount of money and we still have a very good runway runway means like how much money we have left in the bank and um but we we're getting ready to launch go to market we need to ramp up our sales team and we just want to make sure that we have enough money to scale and really bring this product like really blast it out so once again instead of going back to like traditional investors and asking them for money go back to the people in the community because I just am so grateful for how well it was received and how much support that I have. And, you know, I want to, I, I want to give many people a chance to invest that who want to invest. So we're coming back with that product coming out, um, really exciting things on the, on the horizon for us over the next six months. That's huge. That's exciting. I know a lot of people ask me and I was sharing it like crazy when I found out about it and I got in, you know, people do, Oh, I'm, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Too. And then they wait, and it's like, dang, it's closed. So I'm like, look, she's doing it again. Like, hop in and get involved in this historical movement while you can. So I'm so glad that um, you're able to open up another round. And so the last question um, that I have for you, because I know we have to, um, you got to run here soon. Um, so the name of the show is uh, the Uncensored Show. Plain on words, like dollars and cents. I thought it was cool, um, but the actual <laughs> definition of uncensored is, is it means to leave no part hidden or suppressed. Yeah. Right. So what does living life uncensored mean to you? It definitely means being true to yourself, um, in your mind. Someone told me yesterday that being inhibited is selfish, like holding back is selfish because you're not doing a service to yourself or anyone, anyone else. 
So I definitely just believe walking in your truth at all times. That's what it is. Well, thank you so much uh, for dropping so many gems, so much game. Um, you know, where can we find you? Obviously, I'm going to leave all these links in the show notes for our guests. And I know those who maybe haven't heard of you are definitely going to want to tap in after listening to this episode. So, you know, where's the best place to connect with you? Definitely, I love LinkedIn. It's my favorite tool. And I'm on there as under Don Dixon. Um, and then my Medium blog, I share a lot of great information on my Medium, which is Medium at Don Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N. Um, and then Instagram, you know, I have fun on Instagram. And when I raise money again, I've, I've been off. I've been on a hiatus since June, but I'll be back in October. And so um, Instagram, Dawn W. Dixon. But engage with me on the professional platforms because I'm always active on those. Awesome. I, I'll, I'll be excited to see how many, how many more money songs you can think of when, when you start the. Yes, the PopCom Money Moves channel yeah. on Spotify. Yes. Yeah, I was like, how how is she continuing to figure out, remember all these songs that reference money? I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. Um, I'm a hip hop head at heart. So, you know, I'm the tattoo type and I'm a hip hop head. Okay. Okay. Respect. Respect. Well, Don, thanks so much. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, And for the listeners out there, tap in with her and she's doing some revolutionary stuff with culture. Uh, You you don't want to miss out. Like you want to be one of those people that say, I got in on this. So definitely tap in and follow what she got going on. So thank you guys for listening. And thanks. Thank you, Don, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of the uncensored show. Take at least one thing you heard today and apply it to your life immediately so that you can become one step closer to living a more meaningful and fulfilling life and aligning your resources to what matters most to you. Remember, money is just a resource to fuel your journey. The question is, what's yours? What's up, guys? It's George Atchampong, your host of the Legacy and Lifestyle Show. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you so much for listening to the show. I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for anybody who takes any amount of time out of their day to listen. If you find this show valuable, practical, or helpful in any way, do me a huge favor because it helps us out tremendously to try to reach more listeners. All I want you to do is please leave a review on iTunes and also share this podcast with three friends that you think might find value in the show. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode.